bus or something, so I was <laughs> sitting on a plane from Washington, D.C. to Boston, and uh, this spirit-filled Catholic lady sitting next to me, she goes, well, um, how about if you come and stay at my house so you can get some rest, because we had a three-hour delay, so I couldn't get here last night, I'm so sorry, but, and, um, and then you can take my car, and it happens to be a Lexus, and you can have it for the week, so. <laughs> it's total provision. Awesome. God cares about the little things, though. Isn't that important? Yeah, that's important. I love that it was a Lexus. I know. I'm, I got to drive this little missionary car, you know? It wasn't like a I'm just like, I'm in this ride. You know? <laughs> Um, I don't know a lot of you in the room, so just quick personal background. Um, been married uh, almost 25 years, now my glorious bride. Um, it's God's grace, we're still married, she still likes me. Um, we have three beautiful children, and my oldest daughter just gave us our first grandbaby. A year ago, and then she got pregnant again just one year later. So two babies in like a year almost. So she's on her way, like literally in within weeks here. So I'm praying that no baby until I get home. Super important. But uh, my wife and I are Presbyterians, so um, no one's perfect. <laughs> Our claim to fame is this: we we believe we're going to get to heaven first. Because the dead in Christ rise first. <laughs> like the frozen chosen. That's not the I pastored uh, 10 years of Christ the King. Um, and uh, we saw 24 7 prayer in our local church. Um, and when we got to 24 7 prayer, we exploded in growth, grew by 1,000 people. By the time we left, we had 3,500. Um, and uh, just saw a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a, in a bigger church, which is unusual. We were kind of your typical um, Bill Hybels, you know, uh, seeker sensitive type church. And so to see God move in a context like that, we had to like, you know, everybody hacks on the big churches because they say they're shallow and they don't, you know, aren't open to the moving of the Holy Spirit. But it gets really practical when you're a pastor because you get. Like a thousand people come in the parking lot, and then there's the next thousand coming to the next service, and there's no parking. And the children's leaders, like when you go over time because the Holy Spirit's moving, well, they got a whole new crew of kids coming in. You know, <laughs> it's really awkward. Like, <laughs> give us mercy. <laughs> it's very practical sometimes. <laughs> but we did a spontaneous baptism. It was amazing. Uh, one of these weekends, the Holy Spirit just fell, and we actually. Um, several people got born again. I think about we saved people, fifty people that weekend, and then um, and we do a, a class in between the services. And we went and bought, went to Walmart, got clothes for them, and um, so they get saved one service, and then they go in and get their class, and make sure they get all rid of all their demons, and then we put them in the tank in the third service. <laughs> we had five services. So. <laughs> Awesome. 360 first time salvations that year, water baptized. Amazing. And again, we're in the Northwest, like here, you know, very unreached, unchurched area. And so that was cool. Um, but we were stuck at that, you know, 
barrier, uh, we were about 2,000 there for like seven years. And, you know, we tried everything, recovery programs and, you know, outreach things and you name it. And it wasn't until we changed one thing, we started to pray night and day, and then God came. We didn't work doing anything different. Um, and so that's our little city testimony. But uh, then we started inviting other churches to join us. And so today we have um, 40 churches. Uh, each church takes a day of prayer once a month, every month to pray. Full 24 hours of prayer. Uh, Christ the King, where is that still going? 150 hours a week. Um, and so once this thing started to grow, then I stepped out in 2009 full-time to start a house of prayer. So it's our prayer strategy, and then we also build a citywide house of prayer in one building. So that's going about 80 hours a week now. So vision is to get that thing going 24-7 too, because Jesus is worthy of that. So we're going to talk about uh, that tomorrow on some of those details, and we're just seeing remarkable transformation. Uh, our Hispanic churches are in revival right now, like Jonathan Edwards' revival. Uh, 1,200 first-time salvations last couple of years. They've planted 11 churches out of those new believers. Um, and the Holy Spirit's moving. That's just in Whatcom County. So we're a small little area, only 200,000 total in the whole county. Uh, we've seen 80 church plants in 10 years. 9,000 new believers water baptized. Um, and so the testimonies are like that. We have 80 out of our 100 pastors, senior pastors, meeting together for prayer now. Um, and the testimony, though, is, is really because I believe there's this canopy of united and strategic and sustainable prayer. It's been going for eight years now. It's local church-based. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So good to meet all you guys. I love it. <laughs> Um, I'm going to share uh, today about uh, this, this book we wrote uh, called Lamb's Reformation 2017, a devotional guide. And uh, I want to talk about that on uh, the motivation behind why we pray. And uh, kind of piggyback a little bit on Jonathan's The Motivation Behind 10 Days and Gaylord. Um, and tie this together for us a little bit. Um, let me start with this, Matthew 25, Parable of the Ten Virgins. Familiar with this, right? Um, I don't, I don't think there's just two groups. I think there's three groups in the parable. There's uh, five foolish. There's five wise. And then there's, at midnight, there was a cry. Who's doing the cry? It's the third group, I think. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. <laughs> I believe that the 10 days vision is a forerunner vision. Uh, that God's raising up. And uh, to prepare the way for his coming to our cities and to our churches and our, and our homes. Uh, not all the church is asleep today. Amen? Amen? There is always, and there always has been in church history, a remnant generation that is awake to Christ for all that he is. And their cry, here comes the bridegroom, come out and meet him. That's what we're doing in our cities a little bit, I think, through prayer, through worship, through setting our hearts um, to prepare the way for His coming. Mountains going to come down, obstacles, valleys going to be raised up, and there's going to be a way made open so the whole church can awaken to Christ. Amen. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just like God raised up John the Baptist uh, for His first coming, as one individual, uh, Jesus called him a burning and shining lamp. I think God's raising up a corporate forerunner generation like John the Baptist. But it's a remnant of the body of Christ. And this is going to be their message. Like John the Baptist, 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's our, that's going to be the primary message, I believe, and that's why we titled this a Lamb's Reformation. Um, his whole heart was to see the increase of Jesus and his decrease. And that's what happens when he increases, we automatically decrease. And it becomes fully about him. And that's what they get in heaven. Yeah? Um, so let's talk just a little bit about the Lamb. Um, pick about first uh, 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. Um, I had a chance to go to Wittenberg a couple weeks ago and just learn again what God was doing in that season. I think it was really about not just that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. I think the primary thing that caused an absolute explosion was when the Bible got back into the hands of the common people so they could read it, study it, meditate on it in their own heart language. And I think that's really what um, was going on. I think something similar can happen when we get back to the sacrifice of Christ and the cross in the church today. Um, And certainly this is happening in other places already. So I'm thinking more about the context of maybe America and places that we might be a little more sleeping. Um, But Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Scripture says. Uh, I think what the theologians would call a covenant of redemption was determined somehow in the heart of the triune God of grace where the father looked at his son and said, are you willing? And he said, yes. Um, I mean, literally to looking down the corridors of human history and he sees us on our way to hell and he throws himself in front of the wrath that we deserved and quenched it on our behalf and had mercy on us so we don't get what we deserve. He made that choice to lose everything because of his outrageous love for you and I. Amen? Amen. And I don't think we have any idea what it truly cost him. Um, And so I've been asking, Holy Spirit, show us again the revelation of Christ and him crucified. Amen? That's right. So John the Baptist came preaching the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Um, When you come to the end of Scripture, book of Revelation... Jesus' primary face is a lamb slain. He's revealed as a lamb 28 times in the book. More than king, bridegroom, and we go through the whole list, right? So it's interesting to me. Think we should focus on that maybe at the end of the age? I think that's a really good idea. (laughs) I do. Revelation uh, 5, verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, standing in the center of the throne, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God mm-hmm. sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll, title deed of authority from the hand of the Father. Mm-hmm. They, they, they see this and they, they collapse under the weight. They're overwhelmed with the glory of the lamb. Sing a new song, worthy are you. Yeah. Uh, you were slain by your blood. I mean, this is the new song. Yeah. So then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, sing with a loud voice. Mm. This is our cry in our house of prayer. Mm. 
uh, Revelation 5.12 cry, anthem, says, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So to the one on the throne, the Father, and to the Lamb who is slain, all praise and honor and glory. Sevenfold place of honor. Where, you know, if he's, here's the thing, if he's standing now as a lamb slain, still bearing the scars and marks of his cross, right? That place of the greatest love ever given. Greatest love ever given. Let me say it again. The greatest love, Jesus said, the greatest love ever given. We love because He first loved us. So we need a revelation of His love. We need to receive that love. That love shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that love will spill out in love for one another. Amen? Um, so in order for Gaylord's message to happen, and it will at the end of the age, uh, I believe we need great understanding and revelation and insight by Holy Spirit on the sacrifice of Christ. You're, listen, you're going to take one look at those nail-pierced hands, and you're going to weep forever. Forever. The depth of that love, of that mercy, that grace. If he's in the center of the throne in heaven, right now being honored and treasured and made much of so let him be in the center of the church yeah. as a lamb looking as if he'd been slain. Hallelujah. Here's why. The father is always looking at the wounds of his son. And every wound bleeds glory. And I, I think he's asking us, the church today, are you going to give my son his due worthy of 24-7 praise. Yeah. Songs and adoration. Sacrifice and obedience. Worthy of it. It's worthy of all the affections of the nations of the earth. They all belong to Him. It's where this whole thing is going. We're going to celebrate a marriage supper of the lamb. lamb. He's a bright curtain lamb. He's the lamb of love, the lamb of glory. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Even, in the, even into the generations, the Lamb is the lamp of the eternal city, the New Jerusalem, forever. It reveals the glory of the Lord as the light of love. So I think that could cause a, a, a true reformation. If we're going to see a love revolution, then we need to see a Lamb's reformation, a new reformation that will lead to a great transformation. What do you think? We love because He first loved us. You know, a lot of us say we you know, kind of got the T-shirt, been there, done that. When it comes to God's cross and His love, and we, yes, we don't need to be on the cross. We don't. Fact is in the front to the Father because He understands what it costs Him. Uh, Paul's passion, right? Uh, I decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That word crucified there is in the perfect tense in Greek. What's that mean? 
means that he was, is, and always will be the crucified Christ. That's why the revelation of his as a lamb is forever. We're never going to get beyond that. So here's my theory. I think this is biblical. I did my doctorate dissertation on this subject. Beholding glory in the cross. I think that the cross was the hour of glory. Jesus says that in the gospel seven times. This is the place of the glorification of the Son of Man. Meaning this, the highest revelation of the eternal Godhead was manifest and revealed through Christ crucified when he's lifted up. Therefore, as we behold him, as we behold glory revealed, we will be changed from glory to glory. Greater love, uh, his mercy on display, his justice on display, his everlasting kindness on display, his anger against sin on display, his judgment against the devil on display. Hallelujah. Amen? <laughs> okay, think of it this way. Um, think about the nature of God, okay? Um, the fullness of all of his attributes. You know, wrapped up in one full, glorious, harmonious whole. He is. I am who I am. Yeah. All sufficient. Okay. The, the Bible word, now, now in, in that, God is other than, right? We know that there's none like Him. Okay. And what's the Bible word for that? The, the description of, of the Godhead. Other than, set apart, distinguished, nobody like Him, no darkness in Him at all. Nothing perfect. Perfect in his nature. What's the Bible word for that? Holy. Holy. He is holy. And the biblical response to the Holy One is what? The fear of the Lord. If he's other than, then we stand in awe. If he's set apart from anything morally impure, then we have ever-growing hatred of sin. The fear of the Lord. Good? Now, here's the deal. When the Holy One, who's set apart, none like him, goes public manifests himself, unveils his beauty. That's the Bible word, glory. Glory is holiness unveiled. Yeah. Holiness is glory concealed. Say it again. Say Holiness is glory concealed. Glorious holiness revealed. The word glory means what? Weight. Illumination. Brightness. So when God shows us himself, when he discloses himself, that's the biblical word glory. When he does that, the only response must be to glorify him, to boast of him, to advertise him, to praise him, to honor him, to glorify him. Take that which he is and make it magnificently glorious. So as he is now, so let him be on the earth, right? Show us your glory, your grace, compassion, slow to anger, rich in love, abounding in steadfast faithfulness, forgiving sin, bringing judgment. I think the fullness of that glory
glorious display, the revealed excellence of the perfect nature of the Godhead was put on display at the cross. So that's where I, what I want to behold the land forever. Now, what do you think is at the center of God? What's in the heart of God, the motivation of God, the affections of God? What drives Him, moves Him? Love. That God is love. Greater love is none than this than he lay his life down for his friends. What happened at the cross was God revealed Godness to him. The highest level. When God gave himself to us. The highest revelation, the burning center that God had is God emptying himself in love. Self-emptying, self-giving for the other. So he is God is servant. We were made in the image of God, right? In his likeness. And we're growing into ever-increasing likeness. So that's why we must love one another because that's who we are. That's how we're wired. That's how God made us. Why? Because that's who God is. It can't be any different. It's personal. Uh, this uh, two weeks ago, I had a chance to go to Herrnhut, Germany. Um, and uh, we gathered a, 120 global prayer leaders and missions leaders from around the world, from 30 different nations. And when I mean global, uh, Grant was with us, and I mean global leaders. Like these are leaders of international prayer missions. Um, one of the most godly gatherings I've ever been a part of in my entire life. I've been around a lot of anointed people before, um, but I've never been in a place where there was such love for one another, wow. such humility. Um, and uh, these are ones that have suffered for the gospel, many of them. Wow. Um, one of the gals that just wrecked me, I mean, I just had to repent of prayerlessness. She's the, the leader of prayer in the underground church in China. Goes, uh, she's based in Hong Kong, but goes through all throughout China um, and helps them become houses of prayers. And uh, I mean, she said that half the church in China prays every morning. Yeah. Wow. An hour a day at a minimum. <laughs> it's like we're in total sin in America. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I just, it was so, it's ones like that. Um, Dick Eastman, uh, the leader of Every Home for Christ, probably the largest soul-winning mission organization in the world. They led 11 million people to Christ last year going door-to-door and planted 28,000 home churches. <laughs> They've been doing that for years. Um, he said it was the most personally significant minist- uh, gathering he's ever been part of. Wow. In 50 years, five decades. Wow. Um, We went to Herrnhut, um because we wanted to understand, glean from, and learn, honor the story of Count Zinzendorf and the Moravians. Mm-hmm. And you guys familiar with the story at all? Um, I'll just do a quick overview and then share a personal story and then we'll be done and get to dinner. Are we okay for time? I, right. th- I think so. I, I, uh, yeah, we're perfect. We're perfect. Okay, sweet. You got, you got, 20, you got 20 minutes. Perfect. You're okay, good. Let's do it. Let's try. And then we got eternity after that, right? <laughs> of ever-increasing, glorious revelation 
irresistible glory forever you'll be forever fascinated yeah. <laughs> that's a problem let's just start now I mean 10 days why don't we just go forever I mean <laughs> Let's do 10 first and then... Very smart. Yeah, so I'll show this tomorrow, but when John and I connected, it was so interesting because we, when we started our Canopy of Prayer, we actually started with 10 dates, and it was National Day of Prayer to Global Day of Prayer. Oh. Um, interesting. And that's, that was our first year. We had like four churches. What year? 2005. Same time. Come on. Yeah, 10 days. Whoa. Wow. And, then, and, and so what we're, we're thinking is this would be a great forerunner to get things started once a year. We did that for three years. And then we said, hey, keep doing it on your day every month. And it worked. <laughs> Last year, we went to Denver, did the 10 days. Guess what? There are 30 churches now every day. Come on. 20%. Right. Wow. We're going to Denver in a couple weeks. So that worked. I don't know. Can, can so I maybe. <laughs> getting me all right all right so this is real cool um i'm talking to jason on the phone and we were already friends it was in 2015 and um you know we're talking i don't know sometimes you're just having a phone conversation and sometimes you just start getting like bombed by the holy spirit and this was kind of in the latter category so i'm getting i'm in my office and it was a funny i was at this i was in st louis at the time and i got in an office at my dad's church and I was always on the phone and really loud, so I would annoy my office mate at a wall because <laughs> I'd just be laughing and carrying on. And um, this was an instance of that too. But the Lord just hit me with this revelation that everywhere that 10 days went, we should bring one church, um, this one church initiative, that these things were like kind of like made to go together. And so when he said like, oh yeah, start at the same time, I'm like, huh. Well, that, makes, that kind of makes sense. Uh, but I just think it's exciting, and so it's, it's cool, too. Last year we did um, the thing in Denver, and it's awesome to hear how well it's doing. And we hope to see something similar happen this year. So I, I'll just, I know this is kind of just a tangent, but I feel like these two things are really married in the heart of God. So anyway. Amen. Okay, cool. So why are we going to do 10 days? I think the story of the Moravians is going to give us some understanding. That's right. Seventeen twenty-two, a group of three hundred Bohemian Moravians. Uh, they're fleeing persecution. They come to Zinzendorf um, and ask for refuge. Um, and he allowed them on their land. Hernhut uh, was named that way because it has a double meaning: it means "watch of the Lord" and "the Lord's watch." So, in two sense, uh, they're under the canopy of the Lord, watching over them. And they're this uh, as as a refuge community under his care, under his shepherding. And at the same time, they're also standing watch before the Lord, uh, waiting for his return in a place of intercession and prayer. Um, and uh, they suffered from quite a bit of uh, dissension, discord, had some false teaching. Those first five years were messy, as always is when you're trying to do community in close quarters. Yeah. If you've studied church history before. <laughs> um, but it was a divine setup from the Lord. And so Zinzendorf caught wind of this. He's actually living uh, in a place called Berylsdorf. And uh, decided to sell that and move to Herrenhut to um, begin to disciple some of uh, the Moravians. 
And uh, for a season, he actually went door to door sharing on the revelation of Jesus, the Lamb of Glory, and on the cross, and how in that we need to be reconciled to one another. We need to get rid of our bitterness and our judgment against one another, um, factions, dissension, how we're talking about each other. And um, he had such passion for the Lamb of God. In fact, when he was younger, um, he was in Dusseldorf and saw a painting of the crucified Christ and, and literally stood there for hours just looking at it and the Holy Spirit kept unveiling to him more understanding of Jesus' love at the cross. It had a caption down at the base it said, this is what I've done for you. What will you do for me? Falls to his knees and weeping. Says, Lord, I'll give my life to see you glorified as the Lamb. And uh, that motivated him um, in the season. And so... Um, May 12th, they signed what was called a brotherly agreement, came together and began this story of reconciliation. Um, had a lot of work to do, but the Holy Spirit began to uh, come and touch them in their, their place of coming together in unity and in one accord. And uh, began to see an experience, uh, they call it the summer of revival. The Holy Spirit began to touch down. They had all night prayer meetings. The children, God was touching the children. Um, and uh, they were having visitations from the Lord, travailing in prayer for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This thing uh, uh, culminated on August 13, 1727. They're um, walking down the street that we actually got to go down to, to the same church where the Holy Spirit fell. And uh, during a communion service, Zinzador begins to preach on the Lamb of Love. And the uh, Holy Spirit came. Uh, fully reconciled with one another. Uh, it, the love was so strong they called it a baptism of love. <laughs> Just a wash of the love of God. <laughs> so after that uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit that God spoke to Zinzendorf in Leviticus uh, chapter 6 verse 13 said the fire should never go out on the altar. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, let us then respond as the people of God in 24-7 praise, worship, and intercession. Let it never go out because His sacrifice is forever. And love is forever. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so they started a prayer chain that went on for a hundred years. hundred years, night and day prayer. <laughs> totally awesome. Just like in heaven. So we're 10 days for Jonathan. We're, we're gone seven years now, 24 7. But what if we just went on for a hundred more years like the Moravians? That's one of my dreams, personal dreams. I want to be in a prayer meeting and crying out in union with the Holy Spirit, with his bride, the church, come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Heaven's open. It comes down. <laughs> Under that canopy of united and strategic and sustainable prayer, God began to mark missionaries and send them to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Um, they had what was called the order of the mustard seed conviction, where they would commit to three things. Three things. Have you heard this before? Yeah. Um, first thing was to honor Christ. Right? And the second was to treat people kindly. 
love people, basically. And third thing was to take the gospel to the nations. And so the Holy Spirit began to send them amazing stories of their, their devotion, their radical devotion, to see the gospel go to where it's never been preached. Um, the stories that you hear, amazing. They, these missionaries actually started 5,000 missionary settlements across the earth. Uh, Protestants call it the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the Protestant Missionary Movement. Uh, influenced people like William Carey, the father of modern missions. Um, influenced John and Charles Wesley, the Methodist Movement. Since they have actually had all these home uh, missionary bases with 24-7 prayer, and then he handed them all over to John Wesley. <laughs> That's how Wesley got started. <laughs> Amazing. They went into... Uh, leprosy camps in India knowing that they wouldn't come back because they knew that these children and these ones needed a human touch. Jesus loved them. They built their coffins before they left because they knew they wouldn't come home. Willing to actually sell those slaves into slavery to reach the slaves with the gospel. Powerful stories. Uh, we got a chance to stand in the graveyard there. 6,500 intercessors and missionaries. And it's, it's like holy ground. Kind of like this is set apart here in America. But, um, what they would do when a missionary would go forth under this canopy of 24-7 prayer, um, they would, the missionary would be standing here and the whole community would be behind him. And sometimes even the wives and children would be blessing their husbands and dads to go. They would ring a bell and then the missionary would turn back to the community and he would declare may the lamb who was slain receive his due reward that's why I'm going that's what motivated them to pray, that's what motivated them to go on mission was that the lamb would receive his reward because he's worthy, because he's all deserving, that's what the bible says amen amen so, um, personally, and I'll close with this, and I'll pray for us for that same spirit to rest upon us here. Um, 2006, similar story to Jonathan and Gaylord. I was in a season of major burnout. <laughs> Funny how that comes up. You know? <laughs> You've been there too, haven't you? Shoot. Anybody else? <laughs> Uh, honestly, I was in unbelief. Um, we were pastoring this big church. I wanted to quit. Um, struggling with sin, uh, judgment. I hated people. It's bad when you're a pastor. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it just doesn't work good, you know? <laughs> if I could just sit with my Bible by myself and have experience with Jesus, fine. But when I got to do people, it's like. Uh, that's. <laughs> It's, it's just wrong. It's, <laughs> <laughs> story, yeah. <laughs> so I went to our senior pastor. I was a teaching pastor. He was a senior pastor, and uh, we shared the pulpit together. And I came to him and said, "I just can't preach anymore. I got it. I need a break." Because he said, "Why don't you go on a six-month sabbatical?" He said, "Sweet." We had some missionaries in here in New Germany. Paul and Gene Wimmer. Paul wrote this amazing book on Zinsdorf. I highly recommend it to you. Get it to you later, but. Um, um, he said, why don't you take a six-week sabbatical and go back to, and study the, the Moravians and see our missionaries and just have some time off. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And I knew the story a little bit, studied church history uh, at Regent College. 
and uh, knew some of the impact, but didn't really have a grasp on it. And so, but I thought this would be cool. Leave people, be by myself. <laughs> Hopefully God doesn't show up either. <laughs> so we hop on the airplane, we're flying across the Atlantic, and Jesus says uh, to me, I'm reading Revelation 5, verse 6. The lamb standing in the center of the throne. And he, he asks me this question. He says, Jason, why did I give St. John the Revelator the book of Revelation? <laughs> I knew it was the Lord because I don't read the King James. I didn't think it was the devil. So this has got to be you, Lord. And But honestly, I'm in this burnout season. And I, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't care. And I don't know. I took some Tylenol PM and I fell asleep. <laughs> we have an emergency landing. And uh, problem, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of think the people on the plane are like, get Jonah off the boat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all going down. You know? <laughs> Guess where we land? St. John's, Newfoundland. <laughs> no, I can't be, I can't be, I just totally ignored it. No. <laughs> get back on the plane. Finally get to Frankfurt, to, uh, it took us like 52 hours, and then I show up in Jerry three days later. I mean, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Uh, I'm in Frankfurt. I wake up in the morning, early, and the Lord says, Jason, consecrate yourself. I'm going to visit you in three days. And I'm like, oh, no. The worst thing you want to hear when you're in total sin is God's coming. <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's all over. I'm, I'm dead. I'm going to hell. I'm, all my sin is going to be exposed to everybody in the world. That's what you're thinking, right? It's not always a bad thing. But that's what's going through my mind. So I'm trying to repent, call my wife. You know, like, oh, just, it's not good. So sure enough, I get out there morning of the third day. Um, it's flat. Uh, you know, I thought maybe I missed it. And i um, getting ready to go back down to bed. I'm up in the watchtower. And uh, it's really beautiful up there. You can see in the Czech Republic and uh, Poland, East Germany. And um, um, so just about ready to leave, all of a sudden the manifest presence of God comes. And, uh, you know, in the, all, in the years, different years of ministry, and I think others can attest to this, that it's so interesting the Lord shows up, not because of anything we do, and definitely not because of anything we deserve. Often in our lowest places, in our place of brokenness and genuine you know, uh, humility, that's when God comes. And uh, it's called God's grace. Mm -hmm. But he comes in the tower as an all-consuming fire. As a holy one, I, I had this uh, just sense of my sin just pass before me. Um, especially areas of pride. Uh, areas of judgment and criticism against other people in the body of Christ. He says this question, he said, Jason, why are you persecuting me? He said, well, I didn't know I was persecuting me. He says, every time you judge and criticize and slander one of my brothers and sisters, it's like you're doing it to me. It's like you're a killer to us. The Lord, I just had to root out. It was a place for righteous judgment, amen, in the spirit. But evaluation between what's right and wrong, but this was wrong judgment. This was prideful judgment. Meaning I'm above you, I'm better than you, I'm right and you're wrong, pointing my finger at them. I really had that and it was rooted in pride. I thought I was better. 
And the Lord was not okay with that. He said, listen, I've given you my love. How can you refuse to give love to others? They don't deserve it. You know, at the cross, we're all equal. <laughs> it's a level play field. In His mercy, we do not get what we deserve. Eternal separation from Christ. He took it for us. His grace, He gives us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness of sin. Eternal life. Adoption into a new family. The wonderful Holy Spirit in us forever. All satisfying joy forever. We don't deserve any of it, but He gives it to us freely. And it was at His expense. So, how can we not love one another? He so loved us. That's what He exposed in my heart. He had to get that out of me. Because of the movement of unity that he wanted to do in our sin. Come on. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> it's the same thing that happened to the Moravians. I didn't even know that story. But that's what God did with the Moravians. Wow. Yeah? They had to get rid of their judgment and their criticism, their slander. And uh, when they came together in one accord, then the Holy Spirit fell. And that baptism of then they had worship and prayer, and then they sent missionaries to the ends of the earth. After that happened, you know how you confess your sin, and then that just grace, the gospel, that cleansing fire comes. You just have liquid love, just washes it away, and you feel clean. Yeah. And I'm still struggling with it, honestly, today. Every day I gotta watch my tongue. I gotta be careful what I say, especially with my wife in private. Checking those motivations, and I know we all struggle with this yeah. at times, but it is a requirement to see John 17 unity. Yeah. To honor others above ourselves. To defer to others, to love one another means to literally not be about you and not make every conversation, everything about you, make it about somebody else. <laughs> Care about them more than yourself. Love them like you love yourself, right? And that's what that really means. It's and it's the most glorious, pleasure-filled thing we get to do. <laughs> you don't miss out on anything when you do that. That's the crazy thing. It's the place of all satisfying joy and peace forevermore. <laughs> God is so smart. <laughs> After that happened, the Lord said, I want you to build a house of prayer in the spirit of the radiance. The spirit of the radiance, what does that mean? I had no idea. Okay, Lord, sounds good. This time I said, okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. Let's do it, Lord. <laughs> and uh, next day, Marit comes up, and she had helped start a uh, ministry in the Moravian denomination that was asking God to restore the spirit of the Moravians. What God had done before with Zinzendorf and these, these you know, hundred years of prayer that God would do it again on our day. And so she comes up to me, not knowing the story, and says, I feel like I need to lay hands on you and impart this anointing. And I thought, okay, and what is it? She, so she got everybody gathered there in the community, lays hands and says, I impart to you the spirit of the Moravians. I'm like, no, that's the same phrase I heard up in the tower. <laughs> How did you know? Still didn't know what it meant. Uh, but anyways, uh, a couple days later, I'm getting ready to go back to Harry, I mean, back to Frankfurt and head home. I thought I'd go up in the morning and get some pictures. Beautiful. I can remember the story and the visitation. I'm thinking that we're done. You know, this is great. We're going to go build a house of prayer. I don't know what that means or what it's going to look like. But, um, and uh, I, I walk up there early in the morning. The Lord tells me to go in the children's room first. I thought, children's room? Why? 
So, but anyways, you just obey. I'm in there, nothing. I don't sense anything. I don't hear anything from the Lord, but I went in the children's room. <laughs> and I came back out, went up to the tower. And I'm, I get up there, and the door's locked to get up to the top. And I thought, ah, oh, bummer, because I wanted to take my pictures, right? So um, I start, you know, while I'm here, Lord, we might as well have a fiery prayer meeting. Intercessors unite. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Lord, bring forth the greater Pentecost. Pour out your spirit, bring worldwide revival. Lord, I pray for 120 in the upper room. I'm just doing the Acts 2 prayer meeting. Hallelujah. Don't you love those? Yeah. <laughs> and then at the same time, I was asking the Lord for a key to get in the prayer tower. It's freezing. It's cold. Oh, Lord, just maybe a prayer key. Sure enough, the Lord wakes up a lady. She comes walking up the stairs to the tower and says, Jesus woke me up. And she was not happy. <laughs> and, she's, and he said, and he told me to give you this key. And I take the key, and, um, and then she just leaves. She doesn't say anything else. <laughs> good, good, thank you. Just, <laughs> turned out to be Marin's personal key for the prayer tower. And I look at it, and there's a token on it as a number 120. I was like, I was just praying that prayer. 120. Weird. Come on. I get up, give give Marin the key back. We're in the train on the way home. And I'm standing next to Marin and the children's pastor. And the Holy Spirit says, ask her about the key. And I thought, that's kind of weird. You know, like, anyways, I ask her about the key. And she starts to weep uncontrollably, falls on her knees in the train. And she's German. They're stoic. They never do this. (laughs) Sometimes doubly up with a key. Tell me. She gets up and tells her this story. This part I want you to catch. Um, 1993, God spoke audibly to James Gull, one of our prophetic leaders in America, and said, I want you to take a group of intercessors back to here in New Germany. I want you to go to Christian Amar, and I want you to ask him a question on my behalf. And the question was this. Do you want me, the Lord is talking through James to them, Christian Amar, do you want me do you desire for me to restore what I did before here in Harrenhut again? Or do you want me to release that anointing to the nations? And uh, he, he wrestled with it. Um, they honestly did wrestle with this. And um, maybe nine months later or so, uh, privately, he and his wife, uh, Krishna Martin, they told the Lord, they said, Lord, we surrender this. And, you know, that's a pretty big deal. They had invested 20 years in this. And knowing what God did before, to just give that away, it's a pretty big decision. Wow. But it was a prayer of surrender. Yeah. And they gave it away. And it's just so interesting to me that it, that's the time frame when we saw all these house of prayers start to spring up all over the earth. Global prayer movements in the 90s, just everywhere. I think some of it, probably others did this too in different stories, but I think some of it had to do with that prayer surrender. What do you think? And maybe we should give away 10 days and ask the Lord to surrender it. You know, to Him, for His glory. doesn't mean we shouldn't keep doing it, but that needs to be the heart. Jonathan's done this several times, I'm sure. George, Lord, I can't do this. I don't even want to do this sometimes. <laughs> right? But it's got to be the Lord's. This can't belong to us. Thank you, Jesus. 
Lord spoke to James, and James didn't know this, but he said, uh, the Lord said to him, here's what I'm going to do. Because of this prayer of surrender, I'm going to raise up 120 house of prayers in the spirit of the Moravians. And it's going to go from 120 to 3,000, and then 3,000 to 5,000. And when these are fully restored, I'm going to pour out my spirit, and there's going to be worldwide revival. That's why you put that. So then he said, he said to, uh, to to James, the Lord said to James, I want you to take a key, make a special key for Marin for the prayer tower, and put 120 on it to represent this story. I'm going to send people from all over the world, and those that get this key in a supernatural way, I'm giving them my blessing and grace, a key to unlock a door called a house of prayer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's so interesting that here we are in the Barrels Door Church. I'm with Marvin. We're praying. Powerful moment. You communion together like the Moravians did. And no one knows this, but I'm standing there, and I know the two fathers of the prayer movement in Germany. Okay, a uh, little bit uh, differences of opinions on some how prayer should be done over the years. Uh, and then the younger guy, who's a Catholic. Johannes Hartzell leads the Augsburg House of Prayer. Huge prayer movement. Their last meeting, they had 10,000 people in it. Okay. <laughs> Young guy. Spirit-filled Catholic. 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. We're all in the Barrelsdorf Church together. Oh my goodness, 30 different nations. <laughs> Doing communion. All about the glory of the Lamb. We're loving one another. And I watched this older father of prayer in Germany come up to the other one and confess his sin. Say, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me for dishonoring you, for slandering you? I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the conversation. I'm right there. I'm like, I'm losing it. I'm going. <laughs> this church was known as a church of reconciliation. That's what it was all about. The love of God for one another. I mean, it was happening right there. Healing. And these two prayer streams. What's going to happen now? I have no idea. And then we get Johannes Hartzell up there. He's like, I don't know how old he was, but probably early 40s maybe. And these two guys get up and they embrace him. Amen? Wow. Powerful. Wow. There's going to be another reformation in Europe. Europe is on the map right now. Yeah. I'm standing there with Marin and Mechtel, the two leaders there. She actually lost her husband, Christian, a year and a half before I'd gotten there. So she's a widow. Um, so she was pretty raw when she was telling me the story. But she looks at me in that train. She goes, you got a key. Go build a house of prayer in the spirit of the Moravians. And that's what we're doing and that's what we've done. It's nothing like the Moravians yet, but that's the model we have. Um, and we're seeing God multiply that model all over the earth. Um, I sat down with Iman Santoso, the key leader in Indonesia. They've adopted the prayer strategy. Just in Jakarta alone, they have a thousand churches now that are praying 24-7. Wow. thousand. They're doing a national conference in September. They're bringing all their national leaders together, and they're going to release this strategy across the nation of Indonesia, the largest Muslim nation in the world. Uh, in Dubai, they have 68 churches going. Now, I sat next to one of the leaders. I go, they have, uh, the, the leader that said, watched our Walk of Story video. <laughs> and we find out a couple years later that they started the strategy. We had no conversation with them. <laughs> So I said, well, you know anything about this prayer strategy? She's a leader in the, one of the churches in Dubai. And I go, yeah, we're one of the 68 churches that do the canopy of 24-7 prayer. <laughs> oh, Lord. So God's marked this thing a bit. Um, 
Yeah. I think 10 days is a great forerunner way to prepare the way to see a full canopy of 24-7 united, strategic, and sustainable prayer. It may take a couple years of 10 days, and all of a sudden you can say to your leaders, hey, what about keep doing it that on, your, on that day? Um, most important thing, though, to remember, why are we doing what we're doing? It's first and foremost that the Lamb of God may receive His due reward. That's what it's all about. That is the anthem of heaven. Everyone who believes glory. Glory that flows from Him and through Him and back to Him. He is the fountainhead of all love. And it's that love that's going to be shed abroad in our hearts. And as we receive His love, revealed through the cross, the greatest place of love, it will automatically spill over in love for one another. We love one another because He first loved us. So let's stand and we pray and then get some dinner. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, I just bless my brother Jonathan Fritz and thank you for this man, God. Honor him above myself, God. I want to serve him. Lord, I pray, God, that your favor and anointing will be upon him, God. I just lay down my platform and say it's all yours. Lord, I pray, God, that you do more through this man than you ever do through me. God, I pray for your anointing, your Holy Spirit, that spirit that rested. Holy Spirit, as you rested on the Moravians, I pray, oh, Lamb of glory, flow forth through this man and through this 10 days movement, God. I pray for each one of us, Lord, that you would release the spirit of the Moravians. So, God, right now, for 24-7 canopies of united and strategic and sustainable prayer, not just for us, not just for our nation, but for the nations of the earth, for the leaking of prayer and mission in these last days. All for your glory, Jesus, for your renown, that your name would be treasured and made much of, Lord, here on the earth as it is in heaven. The rising of the sun to the place where it sets, in every place we pray, to be incense, worship, offerings, God, Holy unto you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The gospel goes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Your order of mission, God. Hallelujah. That we would be one, a glorious bride. God, I pray for that anointing, Lord, to serve to love one another, to champion one another. God, I pray we, we just celebrate other Jeez. ministries and churches. And Lord, we, we lay our lives down, God, for others, Lord. God, I pray for a spirit of unity, God. And Father, you make us one as you and your son are one. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, let the love of God the Father for God the Son be shed abroad in our hearts, Lord, until we experience mm. baptismal love, God. Jesus. 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 Jesus, stick around for a second. Um, Audrey, come. Can you come up? We're going to just. I just felt something um, as Jason was sharing. Um, whoa, Jesus. And. Um, The church was born in 10 days. 
of bread. Right, yeah. And isn't it interesting that now we're doing that again at the end here? So there's something going on there. And when we, I shared, uh, I shared last, uh, yesterday, just how the Lord had said, call 120 to pray for 10 days leading up to Pentecost. And we came and we met in this room and actually, someone actually counted who came. There was 122 people that actually came to that first one. And um, this land, when it, this land, this town of Northfield, its Indian name is Squaquig which means waiting and watching place. Wow. And um, when we were here the first day of the 10 days in 2007, I just did a random Bible study, and I, I just rolled into this passage, Isaiah 27. I had like five minutes, and because uh, we had to come pray. It's like I had to pray before I could pray, I guess. And it talks about the, the punishment of Leviathan. And then it says, In that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. And I discovered later in the day that, that the Lord, on the first day we were here, He had led me. That, that verse is the motto of Northfield, this campus. With schools that have Bibles in the foundations, in the cornerstones of it. Wow. And so there's that sense like a hern hut. This is a waiting, a watching place with both senses of God watching and waiting and us being watchmen. And I was just stirred as Jason was um, sharing that we would pray for, for this place, this land, as it's gone through this season of transition, that God would raise up night and day prayer, that this would once again yes. be a waiting yes. and yes. a watching place. Yes. So we're going to yes. pray into that right now. Yes. I had a vision, I shared this vision with Jonathan as I saw thousands of campers of RVs here coming and celebrating and worshiping and adoring the Lord. And I know that this is the destiny. This was not in the past. This was in the future. This is in the present. Lord, we call that forth in the name of Jesus. That this again will be a place of watching. That this again will be a place of prayer, oh God. Lord, let there be night and day and day and night prayer here, here in this place, in Northfield, here in this place where righteous seeds have been planted so many years ago. Bring this forth, oh God. We call this forth. We call this forth in the name of Jesus. Bring it forth, oh God. Bring it forth. We call this forth. Bring your intercessors from across the world to come here, from around the world to come here. They might not even know why they're coming, but they will come here to watch and to pray. Jesus. Lord, that the seeds would grow again, these righteous seeds that were planted over a hundred years ago, that they would grow once again, grow once again. Not just for New England, not just for this part of the country, not even for the United States of America, but for the world, oh God. For the world, for the world, for the world. Bring this forth, oh God. Bring this forth. We call this forth in your precious. Yes, Jesus. 
so shall it be, and so shall it be, and so shall it be, in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Let you overflow. Let your presence be in we welcome your holy spirit. We welcome your holy spirit. Father, we describe to you, God, for a Moravian generation. The Ebitat structure, God, let us pray for a Moravian generation Lord, to be raised up. We welcome Holy Ghost, 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 to be baptized Holy Ghost, 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 let it increase. Lord, let the glory of the latter house be Thank you, Jesus, for your invitation. Thank you, Jesus. 